0: guys. Good morning. Welcome. For uh, kindergarten through third grade, head on down. My name is Ernie Wagoner. I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you yet, I would love to make that happen before you skedaddle. Um, If you're new, I want to make sure you got a gift, a brown bag. That's our gift to you. There's good stuff inside of that brown bag, so make sure you get a brown bag if you are a new guest here. And happy Mother's Day to you all. That are moms. <clears throat> um, our, our kind of plan this morning uh, is that after our gathering, we're going to have some photos um, that you're welcome to have in the green, uh, and there's also flowers. For everyone here, there's a, there's a flower for you. So if you are, uh, yeah, if you're 18 and older, uh, we'd love to give you a flower just to show our appreciation and love uh, for you. I know for some, Mother's Day is a wonderful day. You have a mom that's a good example. You have someone in your life that's been present and uh, affectionate and transformative for you. And I know for others, Mother's Day is a really hard day. It can be hard for a variety of reasons. Maybe you've lost your mom or someone that was like a mom to you. Uh, Maybe you're reminded of the mom that you had but you wish you didn't have because of the pain that she brought in your life, frankly. Uh, Maybe you want to be a mom and you can't. Um, for a variety of reasons. I know my wife and I, we, we lost uh, our little Theo 20 weeks in in a miscarriage, and so I totally get the pain uh, that that can bring. Um, maybe you're a mother and, and you just regret late days like today, and maybe you're a single mama, and, and it brings a variety of emotions for you. And I just want to say that we, we see all of you, and we know that God cares, and we, He comforts. We know that He renews, and He's sufficient. And so I want to encourage you with that, and I have a friend uh, I'm going to bring up, she's going to share for a minute and then pray for us, Kristen Waltz, if you guys want to invite her up with a clap. <laughs> Kristen is a, a mom in our community, a gift to us, if you know her at all, and uh, wanted to give her a minute to share, so hi. Hi. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, this week, I have been spending a lot of time praying for the moms in our community. So I asked Ernie if I could pray over all of the moms, and he told me that I could. Um, I'm a little bit nervous, so I'm going to take a deep breath. Ah, I, if you haven't gotten a chance to meet me, I am a mom of five kids. This side of heaven, um, I had three kids pretty easily. Um, They are uh, 12, 10, and 9, and after having those three kids, I went through a season where um, I miscarried three, and it was a really hard season. Um, I learned a lot about um, God's faithfulness and all sorts of things through that time, and um, about motherhood and a lot of different things, and it brought just kind of a different perspective to motherhood and... um, All the things that the Lord can teach and the joys and trials through that. Um, I named my next son Simon, which means God heard, because I didn't think I would have him, and he is such a joy. Um, And I had another son after him as well, um, who I have walked through a lot of hard things um, with. I had um, a really difficult accident with him who um, kind of brought to light a lot of the trials that we can go through with our children and how the Lord is really faithful in those seasons as well, just the difficulties in parenting and um, motherhood. And with that, we are entering into a season um, where we're going to become foster parents, which also kind of brings another layer of motherhood and... um, different kinds of, um, just, uh, facets, I guess, to just the ways that we are, um, present in our kids' lives and the ways that we can, um, walk with our children and the ways that the Lord supports us in that. And, um, so throughout the week I was praying for different types of relationships that we have with our kids and with our moms and, um. I wrote down a few things that I wanted to just pray over all of us in the room. Um, so if you would just join with me um, in prayer, I would really, really love that. So, thank you. Um, Lord, we just thank you so much for being present in the midst of this day. We know that this, like Ernie said, can be... Um, uh, really um, hard day for some and a really joyful day for others, that you um, bring honor to all that carry the title of mother, whether this side of heaven or not. Um, So I just ask that you would um, uh, bless this time of prayer that we have, Lord, Um, for all the precious sons and daughters in this room, Lord, we just pray that you would bring healing to the past hurts and strengthen the relationships that they have with their mothers. We ask that you would bless the relationships that they have, and if they don't have a relationship with their mother, we pray that you would bless their hearts today with peace and with your presence. Lord, for the new and expecting mothers, we just pray sweet blessings of abundance, and Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in these families We ask that you would cover them with safety, with encouragement and rest during this season of change. We thank you so much for the beauty of community that you have given this group of mamas entering motherhood together over the next few months. Um, Lord, for those in the trenches of motherhood with little ones and even bigger ones underfoot, we just pray for strength and for provision Lord, we pray blessings of rest and honor today for these moms. <clears throat> we ask that you would provide both intangible and intangible ways for these families, and we ask that you'd make your presence known in their homes. Mm-hmm. And Lord, for those who still desire to become mothers and for those who have lost children, mm-hmm. we just pray for your comfort today. Mm-hmm. Lord, we ask you to please draw close to these precious women and that they would not feel alone. Mm-hmm. Lord, we also lift up their prayers and we join in with them in hope, asking you to grant them those desires of motherhood this side of heaven. Lord, for the mothers who are working to restore relationships with their children, we pray, Lord, that you would please bring healing and preservation to the work being done. We know that you can do mighty things and that you love the family. Please, Lord, work miracles of restoration and minister to the hearts of these moms today. And Lord, for those who stand in and support and hold the title of mother in many different ways, we ask that you would please bless and honor them today. And we thank you for giving us a community filled with wise and compassionate women who bring us so much joy and love. Amen. Amen. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's a gift. That's a gift.
0: Very good. Grateful for that. Okay. Um, we're going to be in Luke 10 in just a handful of minutes. Got to take a few minutes to get there. But um, we are in a, a new series, calling it Foundations. Um, we, you know, common sense that, that foundations are pretty important for buildings. And if you don't have a good foundation, regardless of what you build on it, it's going to crumble. And so it's really important to have... A solid foundation. So we want to recenter as a community as we embark upon this spring and moving forward together as a, as a faith family, as a community of faith, uh, around what are the foundational things for us as a community. And so we've reset over the last couple of weeks, next few weeks, around our vision and our distinctives. And so our, our vision is that we are committed to seeing lives transformed and our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. That's our vision. That's where we're going. If Just no spoilers here, like that is the thing, that if we miss on that, we miss on everything. It is the most important thing for us when it comes to our vision, seeing lives transformed, our city renewed. We have four distinctives that are going to help guide us towards that, that we are a gospel-centered community. We are a contemplative community, we are an authentic community, and we are a missional community. And so those are going to help us stay balanced and make sure that we're moving towards our vision. So each distinctive is a unique value that drives us toward Christ and helps us be formed by Christ. And so in one sense, distinctives are designed to shape us and to mold us more into the image of Jesus. And we're talking about that over these next couple of weeks and last week. But they also, each distinctive is also moving us away from cultural norms that are forming us into anything but Jesus. So we recognize that there are things that we need to help us move towards Jesus. And we also recognize that we are naturally, just in the current of society, naturally being formed into anything but Jesus. So the Friends, the way of Jesus is is counter to our day, and each distinctive is leading us to be a distinct people who are being transformed by Jesus. And so last week, we talked about what it meant to be gospel-centered. So I'm not going to revisit that, but that's core to who we are. We said that's the ground that we're going to stand on as we move forward as a community. And the second distinctive I want us to consider is to be contemplative. So let's begin with a survey of our current cultural landscape and how it shapes Jesus' invitation to be distinct So we are living in a digital revolution, aren't we? You feel it? Maybe not. I don't know. It reminds me of the days we had betta fish. Um, So my son, who's 11, uh, when he was about five or six, we got him some betta fish, got him a betta fish uh, multiple with the same name, if you know what I'm saying. And so the betta fish's name was Blooper, Um, you know. They would, they would move on to glory, and so we'd just get a new one, same color, similar tail color, and you're good to go. It's a sad reality, truly. Um, but the problem was the water was just inconsistently cleaned, okay? And so with that comes problems, with that comes issues, with, with that comes fatalities. And so as far as I know, our, our water, though polluted, was the only water that bloopers knew in their life, okay? That was the, all I knew was the water that they had in the tank that they were... In. Likewise, we, we don't have, well, I'll say it like this, uh, we don't have any more beta fish. But, um, so the question is, for us, what's the water we're swimming in? Like, what is the water in kind of the reality of our life that we are swimming in? It's a water that is the digital revolution. Let's just lay this out for us, because a lot's happened in the last 50 years. A lot that you might not be aware of. Maybe you are. Maybe you don't care. I would hope that you do care. So, in 1971, we've mentioned this before in a workshop we've done in the past, In 1971, the first email was ever sent. It was Q-W-E-R-T-Y-U-I-O-P, just across the middle line of the keyboard. That was the first email ever sent in 51 years ago. And a year later, the first gaming console came out. Uh, The Atari, uh, including the iconic Game Pong game, anybody played that before? Okay, yes. And so a decade later, our first laptop Was created in 1981. Now this is entering into some some more of our lifetimes. In 1984, the first mobile phone came out. Uh, My dad had a huge mobile phone, and his center console just flexed so hard with that (laughs) mobile phone in his car. Uh, So that came out in 1984. In 1990, this is where it gets pretty tricky. There was 12 and a half million people globally that had internet access. So that's that's a quarter of one percent of the world's population. In 1992, the cell phone was released. Uh, in 2000, we now fast forward pretty significantly in the amount of internet usage that uh, that's uh, a- has access globally. So we, we jumped from a quarter of one percent to 11 percent of the world population uh, of 631 million people having uh, internet access. Uh, in 2004, Facebook Came out, that was a pretty significant moment for us. I was in college at that point. That was a pretty big moment for some of us in that time. Uh, And so that happened in 2004. And then in 2007, this is 15 years ago, the iPhone is launched. And so this device goes from just like a bland, basic flip phone, maybe a Razer if you're like super cool, and it shifts into this thing called an iPhone. And it changes the trajectory of everything we know about what is now the digital revolution. And again, in 2010, uh, we see an additional spike of now 1.8 billion internet users. And then finally, in 2020, a study came out. This is all a part of a study in the Atlantic of 4.54 billion internet users. That's up to close to 60% of the world's population. So we are now in this thing called the digital revolution. We're just swimming in this water, like poor little blooper. Just swimming in this water, and we can lose sight and be unaware of how this might be affecting us. In 15 years, our lives have been taken over by this thing called the digital revolution. We're now able to be reached and on call 24-7 We are consistently stimulated. We're ridiculously anxious. We are more connected than ever, yet surprisingly disconnected. We have access to endless knowledge, and yet in this pseudo-omniscience, we don't have the power to do anything with the knowledge that we now have. So as we survey our current cultural landscape, we have to ask, how is this affecting our formation to Jesus? Like, how is that forming? How is that shaping? Is that helping us? How is our soul being affected by that? Are we more distracted or less distracted? Are we more prayerful or less prayerful? Are we more anxious or less anxious? See, the greatest casualty in this digital revolution, our current cultural landscape, is our soul. Our soul is being suffocated along the way. We are the first generation to live with the smartphone. We are now the guinea pig. And now there's going to be studies about us in 50 years about how good or bad the smartphone and all these digital things are to us. Tristan Harris, a former developer for Google, and who the Atlantic named the closest thing to Silicon Valley's, uh, the closest thing Silicon Valley has to a conscience, he spoke out about the impact of the smartphone. He said that the smartphone is a slot machine in our pocket, and it creates dopamine hits. You're aware of this. If you've been a part of any kind of these studies or you've watched any of these 2020 things that have gone out, we, we find that these dopamines are, where our dopamine is getting hit, it's like a drug. And when we get a notification, we now get triggered the same way that a drug u- user is triggered. So without a reconsideration of the water we are in, remember the beta fish, we will slowly find our souls shriveling and be unable to learn how to be attentive to God and how to be formed as followers of Jesus. So this matters to us. John Mark Comer, he said that uh, my phone and the internet is one of the greatest threats to our relationship with God. So this is our water. This is just the reality of it. We gotta, reality is our friend. We got to own the fact that this is where we are. This is our cultural landscape that we're in. And, and that would be an enemy that we have. And another enemy I just don't have time to get into is the... Um, is our internal motivation inside of us to to be driven towards to proving ourselves to the world? You know, we we have this temptation to uh, do and to achieve and to attain to prove ourselves. And we now live in this pace of performance. And so you mix in this cocktail of, one, the digital revolution. You tie that with our our motivations and longings to prove ourselves in this world. Our pace can begin to outpace what our soul needs, and we can find our souls shriveling. This is the water we're in. So is there a rhythm in the way of Jesus that invites us into an alternative way of life? The answer is yes. It's a contemplative life. And so for us, this value, this distinct value in our community is a value to recognize our current cultural moments and to also recognize that Jesus offers us a new, better way that can actually breathe life upon our souls, though the water that we're breathing in, the water that we're swimming in is potentially toxic. So to be contemplative as a community it means that we value slowing down to create space to receive from God and hear God speak to us. So simply about what is contemplative, it means that we value slowing down. We value a pace that is not a microwave pace. You will never grow on the fly in a microwave with Jesus. It takes slow intentionality, and we believe that Jesus is inviting us into a, slow, a slower pace. Friends, Jesus offers us another way. He does. And if we want to see our lives transformed and we want to see our city renewed, we have to recognize the importance of the gospel and to be central upon the gospel. And a day that's telling us that we're defined by all kinds of things to so know that there's only one thing that defines us, and it's the gospel. And we want to also recognize the importance of slowing down to be with Jesus, to be contemplative. So in Luke 10, I told you we were eventually getting there. And so in Luke 10, we see a pretty beautiful uh, section of scripture. Uh, it's built up to where we see uh, a lawyer come to Jesus and asks how to get into heaven. Like, what, what, is, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says two things. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And as, as Luke, the doctor, is, is writing and pinning this gospel out, the following two stories he gives are practical expressions of these two commandments that Jesus gives. And so right after he says, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, we get the story of the Good Samaritan. Why? Because Jesus is, uh, we're learning about what it looks like to love your neighbor. And then right after that, we hear a story about two women who are sisters, Martha and Mary. Let's read about them. Now, as they, were on, uh, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. which will not be taken from her. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would speak to us through this. I pray we leave our our shield and our sword at the door and be able to receive how you might want to teach us what it looks like to live in this cultural landscape. Help us, Lord. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we meet two sisters, Martha and Mary. Another text says while they were traveling. So there there was a lot going on in the life of Jesus. Jesus' life was extremely busy. There were so many responsibilities, so many distractions. There were so many people that were looking for his attention so regularly. And so Martha invites Jesus to pull away. She invites Jesus into her house. She does a good thing and invites Jesus with hospitality into her home. She welcomed him into her home and into her life. It's a beautiful thing. And as she brings him into her home, she becomes busy. She becomes distracted by by good things, by responsibilities, by tasks, by the realities of hosting, the pressures that she felt, the cultural norms that she needed to adhere to to make sure that the experience was positive. And she gets frustrated. And simultaneously, uh, the reason why she's frustrated is that her sister, Mary, simply is listening to Jesus at his feet. See, Mary didn't want to miss Jesus. Her approach was a place of receptivity and intentionality. There were three postures that we see about the life of Mary in this moment. We see there was a posture of a pace that she had. She had a a, a slower pace. She had a posture of intentional investment. She had a posture of dependence. We'll get back to that in a minute. But Martha snaps at Jesus because of Mary. And she gets frustrated that Mary isn't doing things to help her out. And Jesus responds so gently. You could hear Martha, Martha as a frustration. I see it as just a, kind of a comical relief. Just like a, an exhale, like Martha, Martha, Martha. Like, like care and kindness that Jesus had. He said, you are worried and you are troubled about many things. But there's one thing that's necessary. She put the cart before the horse. She was troubled and worried about many things. And he said, there's one thing above everything that you need to make sure you emphasize with your life. And he lays the story out. See, Martha gets a bad rap, but she's a quality person. She's caring. She's open to invite. She's hospitable. But he uses this situation as an example to us, to every generation of the temptation that we have. See, we are Martha right? Like we are worried. We are troubled. We are anxious. We put more stock in keeping up with the Joneses and it drives us. We take on what we weren't designed to take on. We believe sometimes that we are a functional God with how we live our lives and not trusting God with our lives. And that makes us distracted and anxious about many things. See, like Martha, we have this speed in our own day like Martha, our pace and our performance can cause us to prove that we are something, and Jesus is not looking for that at all. So Jesus warns us of this pace. If you read throughout the Gospels, you hear this theme about Jesus' concern and caution about the pace of life and how that can ruin our souls in every generation, and especially our generation He gives two stories briefly, one story and then just one statement. Jesus gives a story you're familiar about. uh, They were in an agricultural uh, environment, and so there were a lot of farmers in that day. And so he gave this story of these seeds that were thrown upon different soil, if you remember that story. somewhere on hard soil, rocky soil, uh, soil with weeds in it, and good soil. And then his disciples are like, what the heck are you talking about? And he lays out what he meant by that. And then the soil where there were weeds, he says this in Matthew 13, He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. He teaches us a thing or two about the realities of our day. That the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches can choke out any kind of fruit and life we have in Jesus. Those are red-letter words. And then again, a little bit later, Jesus says this. For what will it profit a man if he gains the world and forfeits his soul? I mean, what's going to profit you at the end of the day? If you have this crazy good resume and along the way you lost your soul? That's what Jesus says. In America, you can be a successful leader, a pastor who does wonderful things, an entrepreneur, yet fail as a follower of Jesus. So differently, we can gain the world and we can lose our soul. So is there a practice, a rhythm in life that Jesus would offer to us as an alternative way? Again, yes, it's a contemplative life. So what does this look like? What does it look like to be contemplative in a digital revolution? What does it look like to be contemplative in a day where we feel like we need to prove ourselves to the world, to leave our imprint upon the world? Some of those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but our motivation can get wonky. And it looks like embracing the pace and the practices of Jesus He's able to speak into every generation with clarity of what it looks like to follow him, regardless of what generation it is. And that's true for us today. There's an analogy I've given a few times in the past um, with a guy named Dallas Willard. He uses an analogy about a friend who buys a car. So this friend, he buys an old car. It's this antique vehicle. And this friend, again, in this analogy, uh, brings it home, doing some work on it, and he finds that the, the engine, it, it, it like starts and stops. And it's like, what the heck is going on with this old vehicle? He wonders if the vehicle is a lemon. And then in the, this analogy, this friend comes to this friend. He says, what, what are you putting in the fuel? And, and he says he's mixing water and gasoline. And we know that that's not going to allow a vehicle to flourish. And in the same way, We must approach current disappointments. This is what Dallas Willard says. We must approach current disappointments about our walk with Christ in a similar way. Our Christian walk is not meant to run on just anything you may give it. If it doesn't work at all or only in fits and starts, and that is because we do not give ourselves to it in a way that allows our lives to be taken over by it. What he's trying to articulate to us is very easy to just give as little as you can in your Christian faith and then wonder why you're not growing. And what Dallas Willard's saying, what Jesus tells us, first and foremost, is that there's a way that we have to submit to if we really want to experience the transformation that Jesus offers to us. And so on a practical level, there are spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices that are strategies to help us become contemplative. William Paul Sells says this, it is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual, casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our own lives. But there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clear perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. So to be contemplative means that we want to in, be intentional with our relationship with Jesus, if our vision is to see lives transformed with the gospel of Jesus, if we want to put all our eggs in that basket and we recognize the digital revolution that we're living in, we recognize this this desire to prove and perform and to show that we're, we're somebody in this world, we know that's the water that we're living and swimming in, then we have to, as the church, offer something that is distinct that Jesus offers to us. And that is this, to learn to live in a place that causes us to slow down in the midst of the pressures of this life to be with Jesus. See, spiritual disciplines are designed to aid us to grow as followers of Jesus. They enable us to be with him. Like Mary, they provide a posture of pace. They they provide a posture for intentional investment, And they provide a posture for us to be dependent. So we're inviting our community, not just to be a mile wide and an inch deep. But we want to remember the gospel. And we want to slow down. And we want to intentionally seek to follow Jesus. This is who we are as a community. And it's counter to what our world says today. So we're inviting our community into a distinct pace. A contemplative pace. Don't get it twisted. It's, it's not that we, we uh, seek to be contemplative to prove ourselves to God, but it's because we're already accepted and we couldn't be loved any more than we already are that we freely are able to extend this. And so there are daily, weekly, monthly, and annually different rhythms that can help us in this way. And I just want to lay out a few for us. Some things that I do for myself as examples. And so daily, what does it look like to daily be contemplative? What does it look like to daily slow down to be with Jesus? And so for me, uh, again, if you were walking through the workshops with us, you'd be familiar with this because we've talked about this. But in the morning for me, I'll try to wake up before the boys wake up and I'll get a cup of coffee and I'll sit on my couch and I just meditate on Psalm 23. That's it. I'm not trying to prove anything to God. I'm simply wanting to receive and remember who I am and remember who God is. The Lord is my shepherd. I have nothing to prove. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And I just, I just sit on that. just want to remember. Because I naturally wake up and think that he's somebody different. I naturally wake up and I think that he is some kind of taskmaster that wants me to do X, Y, and Z. And I simply want to receive and reset that even if I walk through the darkest of times, he's with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And I just, I sit and I remember over and over and over again that the Lord is my shepherd. Sometime in midday, whether it's before lunch, after lunch, during lunch, You know, a 10-minute window, I'll try to go through the Lord's Prayer. Simply to remember, to reorient my mind. Because again, as the day's gone on, I've slowly begun to believe that I need to prove myself to somebody. And if we're honest, we all feel that. And I want to reset in the fact that I have a father. How does Jesus begin the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven. Before you come to God and try to prove yourself, before you come to God and try to ask him for stuff, before you come to God and try to show him that you're somebody, he simply wants you to orient your heart and your mind around the fact that you have a father who loves you and cares for you and nothing can take you from his hand. And so I just want to remember that. Again, I'm just slowly trying to remind myself of who I am in Christ. So midday, I'll do that. And typically before bed, I have this journal that I use. It's a five-year journal. It's super cool because you're able to go back as you get into it. But it's a five-year journal, and I just write a couple lines from the day of things that happened. And it just gives me just a couple minutes. I'm not talking about 20. I'm talking about like three minutes. to Just reflect on highs and lows from the day. Were there like emotions of anger or stress or bitterness or were there joys of thanksgiving and, and laughter that I could just celebrate and bring before God? And these are just little things that I, I bring in my daily life. And so from a practice standpoint, there, from a daily perspective for me, there are scriptures that I just want to get into. There are prayers that I want to pray. There's silence and solitude. There's journaling that I I use as spiritual practices to help me slow down in this digital revolution and this pressure to prove to remember who I am before God. So that's a, a daily kind of rhythm in my life. Your life will likely look different. But the question is, what does it look like for you to slow down and be with Jesus? So from a weekly standpoint there are two things that I've been trying to do. One is, is Sabbath. So for us, we, we value Sabbath. We've spent time in the past, and we'll spend a series in the future. I don't know when, but it'll happen at some point where we talk about it again. But Sabbath is a time where we stop, where we rest, where we delight, and where we worship God. And so we take, my wife and I, we take, my schedule's a little bit different than probably y'all's, and so we take Friday late afternoon into Saturday late morning. And I'll press those two buttons on my iPhone and I'll hit that swipe where I turn off the power and there's something so wonderful about turning my phone off. You have no idea. It's like my favorite moment of the week to just turn it off for several hours. And I just, I choose to be present with my family. Choose to just engage with the people that God has put before me in my life. Choose to have fun, choose to enjoy, choose to laugh hard, choose to watch a movie. We watch Monsters, Inc. on Friday night. And that is a funny movie with the boys. Funnier than I realized. It's just a very funny movie. And so we, that's what we do. It's not just all serious stuff. Like we have a good time and we laugh a lot. We went to a Pizza Company and we came home and we had ice cream and we watched a movie. Like that's a part of our Sabbath rhythm. Just having an enjoyable time together where we're present together with God, with ourselves, with our family. We value Sabbath. We, I'm, I'm trying. I'm horrible at it. But I'm trying to grow in fasting. Well, I'm trying to take a half day a week, and I've failed a good bit here. And I remember the gospel, but I fail a good bit. But I, I, I try to fast a half day a week, where I can just recenter my heart upon God and remember that I need Him with my life again. Practices that would be a Sabbath. That would be fasting. From a monthly standpoint, I try to take a half day each month where I can just get away and I can go to Chattahoochee Coffee Company, and if you don't know that place is a good place to get along with God, then a free endorsement. Chattahoochee Coffee Company is a great place to just get by a river and just uh, have some time alone, but I try to do that once a month where I reflect on my pace. I look at my schedule. I look at my life. I look at my soul. Like, where, where am I? How am I doing? And I, I try to recenter upon who Jesus is inviting me into and then from an annual standpoint, we pull away in the summer to retreat and heal and refocus. So man, it's, it's so important to have rhythms in our lives. I don't know what that looks like for you. For some of you, you're not type A, and so you're like much more organic in your approach. And so I would encourage you, even in your organic nature, you need to have some structures in your life that help you. But regardless, we need that. And when we fall on our face, we need to remember the gospel. So our cultural landscape is hurried, living in a digital revolution that we are the guinea pigs of. Man, Jesus offers us another way. He offers us a distinct way. He offers us a slower pace. He offers us an an intentional pace. You don't have to shrivel. Your heart doesn't have to shrivel or suffocate. You don't have to just react to the moment that you're living in. We don't have to live with an anxious pace. There is another way. And as a community, we want to offer that to us. Every stage of life is going to look different. If you have babies, it's going to look different your kids are older, it's going to look different. Different seasons are going to cause you to have to be in different moments and different seasons of your life, and so that's why we stand up on the gospel. This doesn't define us. The gospel does, but we do want to evaluate what are some intentional things that we can do to follow Jesus. We want to be a community who exists to see Christ formed in us, and to be contemplative is a necessary part of that, and so I invite you. I don't know if it's scripture or prayer or silence and solitude or Sabbath or something, But I, I invite you to take a step as a community, that we as a community would be intentional to be contemplative, but to allow, above all, the gospel to define us and shape us. I know it's not an easy thing to process. I recognize that we live in a difficult climate where it's hard to even pull ourselves out of the water that we're swimming in. But when we do, we can begin to realize there's an alternative way that Jesus offers to us, He's kindly saying, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. Like that's the message for us today. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden and take up my yoke upon you, take my pace upon you, and I'll give you rest. The opportunity for us is rest and the opportunity for us is transformation. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, what I don't want is for us to feel all the things we're not doing and therefore feel guilty or feel all the things that, as we compare ourselves to somebody else and feel a bunch of shame about that, that's not what I'm looking for here, but I am looking for your invitation, your kind, gentle invitation to come to you and to find a sense of peace and life in the midst of a cultural moment that is so confused and so busy and so anxious. And we do believe that you offer another way And so, Lord, for each one of us, I ask that you would walk with us by your spirit, that you would comfort, you'd be our helper, you'd move among us, you'd draw near to us, you'd remind us that you're with us and you're at work. Lord, we want to see lives transformed, we want to see our city renewed, we want to see your presence at work in our midst. And Lord, I ask you would give us the grace and the courage and the endurance and the strategy to be intentional with our walk with you. So meet us, Lord. Give us what we need in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. And the aisle-